Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Sean Holbrook was attending a typical evangelical church when he heard a series of sermons teaching the Trinity. Ironically, these very messages designed to bolster his faith in the doctrine ended up inspiring Holbrook to question the age-old dogma. As a result, he set out to study the topic more and watched some James White debates and even read his book, The Forgotten Trinity. Once again, What was meant to convince Holbrook of the Trinity opened his eyes to more flaws and shaky logic that spurred him on to study the subject even further. After much investigation and careful consideration, he concluded the Bible teaches that the Father of Jesus is the only true God. Sadly, after arriving at this conclusion, he was given the left foot of fellowship from his local church and ended up leaving. And then in early 2017, Holbrook debated Joshua Lavelle on the question, Is God a Trinity? A four-hour debate. This is his story. Interview 25, Studying the Trinity, Discovering God is One, with Sean Holbrook. Welcome to Restitutio, Sean. Oh, thank you. Glad to be on. So talk a little bit about your background growing up. Were you raised in a Christian home? I mean, yeah, I'd say so in a general sense. Uh, my parents, I think when I was very young, didn't go to anywhere uh, didn't go anywhere at all, and then we kind of grew up in a Methodist church. Uh, I was the only child for a long time, and I was made to go to this Methodist church all the way up till I was about 18, but I admittedly had no real interest in what was going on or what was being taught, and most of it just went over my head, or I just didn't care. So what was the turning point for you where you started to get really involved and interested? Well, it it wasn't till I was around, I think, 22, and I and I was already living. I was. I became an atheist and nihilist at one point. Oh wow! And then uh, I started reading about like end times and economic type stuff, and that led me to look back at the Bible a little more. I initially repented for like a fear of hell, I guess you could say, uh-huh. back when I was around 22, or what I thought was hell back then. I started watching preachers online. Like YouTube was becoming really big back then. Before, you know, back when it was really small, when it was just individuals, you know, on there. So yeah. I watched a lot of preachers, and they they convicted me to start actually trying to profess and go out and try to share the gospel with people. And around that same time, short story, my wife joined me on that. Uh, She was my fiance then, and we were trying to learn how to witness to people. And that was kind of when I started, I'd say, kicking into gear of learning on my own, rather than just letting a pastor up front teach me for half an hour, 40 minutes, once a Sunday here and there. Uh, But mainly, when I studied that stuff, I was only mainly dealing with things like Calvinism. I mean, you start delving into the, the main subject people deal with, like Calvinism and uh, once saved, always saved. And then I began to study some like early church views and Gnostic views from the anti-Nicene church. That was mainly what I focused on for years. And what was driving that interest? Just because it's already a big debate, and I wanted to know more about it. And so I began to study Calvinism, and I wanted to... You know, we were out there preaching to people. We didn't want people to think they couldn't actually get what we thought was saved. You know, we didn't want them to think that they couldn't actually live holy like God wanted them to. We all think we want to defend and fight for the faith that we know what we know, and we so we do the best we can. So, just to clarify, you're saying you were 
you were preaching Calvinism or you were preaching against it? Oh, sorry. No, we were, we were mainly anti, we were against Calvinism. I wouldn't say we weren't rude about it, but, uh, I got calmed down a little more about, no, we were not Calvinists. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, we were mainly, I studied it to understand it more, but I didn't, I didn't agree with it. I see. That was mainly what our church that I joined at that time, or my wife and I had joined at that time, and we all focused on. So that was, you know, kind of like the main thing we all talked about, studied, and did because we were out there talking to people and trying to witness people all the time. Oh, nice. So as far as the subject of the Trinity goes, what made you start looking at that subject? The first real questioning, I'd say, is, you know, I caught a few verses here and there. The biggest thing was when my, my church at that time decided to try to tackle and teach on it, which most churches I don't believe do. No. <laughs> or even attempt to do. And we had two elders at the time when that was taught, and one of them was more exegetical, and the other one was, you know, he's a nice guy, no problem with him, but he just wasn't as in-depth. But he did like a three-part teaching on the Trinity, and I found it kind of just not very in-depth. But the biggest question was he mentioned something about the, the Hebrew word akkad, and he believed it could refer to a compound one, and Deut- like using Deuteronomy six four and the Shema. And at the time, I was studying grammar a lot because I was starting to learn Greek and don't think I know it really well. But that was what I was reading a lot at the time and studying it more. So grammar was really at the forefront, and then that idea of him claiming that didn't sit well with me. Well, let me ask you this: Did you always kind of believe in the Trinity before this? Yeah, I think uh, we all had a general understanding, but nothing in depth. You know, it was it was a uh, you know Methodist church growing up was Trinitarian. It was Jesus is God type, you know, normal non normal stuff. I even actually, ironically, ran into biblical Unitarians right around the time I started getting more fervent about talking to people and witnessing and reading and studying theology more. And I ran into, I think it was Truth or Tradition's website. Okay. And I saw their stuff, and I was like, you know, just kind of like, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just dismissed not, it. Yeah, not even going to look into that. that. That's way off. Wow. And that, yeah, I, I just was a common, you know, kind of understand it. I think I get it. Never really dealt with people in depth about it, though. Never, uh-huh. you know, never really talked to any JDO, like, Jehovah's Witnesses or never really talked to any biblical Unitarians and occasionally ran into a oneness person. So when he started doing this series on the Trinity, it had the opposite effect on you. Rather than firming up your belief in this doctrine that you already pretty much accepted, more or less uncritically, he got you to question it because of his one of his arguments for it based on the Hebrew word echad. What happened next? I mean, that was the start of it. That was because, you know, that night I looked up what he was saying, because I, I didn't really ever question him. I mean, I, we were supposed to be a good Berean, you know, test your elders' church. And when I looked that up, I didn't find that definition anywhere. And that led me to also looking into, uh, like, Mark 12, where Jesus talks about the Shema, and it basically explains it in context. And we didn't talk about that at all. We only talked about, you know, the one single verse of Deuteronomy 6.4, like, it's just out there alone, and, it's, and it has no context around it. And those two things are probably the biggest things that didn't sit well with me. And so I began to study them a lot. And weren't you afraid to look into this subject? I mean, it's one of Christianity's most cherished beliefs, after all. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I think everyone who begins to think something might be wrong with the Trinity or has, it has to be tweaked, I guess you could say, you kind of ask yourself, like, you know, who who questions this? And only the cults don't believe in the Trinity. Right, yeah. So... You know, I'm not a, I'm not a cult member, but something's wrong here. I got I, I've done these guys for years now. They aren't going to try and fool me. I have, to, but I, something's wrong here. I need to look into this a little more. Yeah. And you know, it, it bothered me. It was it was not something easy to study. You know, I kind of use a metaphor where I feel like I'm starting to chop off branches off a tree as I look into text by text, and they're not upholding what I thought they could have meant or what the, what the Trinity says they meant. 
Right. So as far as Echad goes, you basically concluded that that just means one as opposed to compound one? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty clear, especially with the the understanding of grammar. It's just, it was just a fallacious argument. It had nothing to do with altering the name or word Yahweh. It, it was just means one, and it's it's an adjective. And to act like it would it would alter that that word is just it's nonsense. Really, is what it is. I brought that to my elders that time. What did they say? What, it was probably about five or six months of study I'd, be, I'd put into them, like Mark 12 and the Trinity a little bit, but mainly Mark 12 and uh, with the context of Shema and Akkad. And I brought that to my two elders and just in an honest questioning, you know, I'm having trouble with this. This is not, something's wrong here. I kind of questioned them a little bit and they were just wondering what I was thinking as I was questioning these things. They never they, got back to me on it. Were they concerned in the sense that like, why are you daring even to question this? I don't think at that point they were. They just wanted to know where you were coming from? Yeah, because, you know, the, my, one of my elders first, you know, they first think, well, one is of apostolic. And I didn't even know what I was at that point. Because around that time, I was probably more kind of an Eastern Orthodox type of Trinitarian and maybe heading towards Arianism, you might say, at the point. Because that was where I was. I, I'd never heard of biblical Unitarianism still at this point. I, I generally kind of heard about it, but I didn't know anything about it. I just thought, well, I'm starting to see a problem here where God is always referring to the Father, and the Shema in context is clearly the Father. Yeah. So what was your research program like? I mean, you're studying Greek and obviously reading the Bible, but you're also doing research online. What websites or YouTube videos or books did you come across during this period? Well, interestingly, the main person I focused on studying was probably James White. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I watched I watched his debates. I, I watched his explanations. Uh, I got a copy of one of his books on the Trinity, the Forgotten and, Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I also even my elders at one point later on wanted me to watch it, but I'd already seen it. The debate with uh, Anthony Buzzard and James Good and James White and James, Michael Brown. But yeah, I watched that debate, and I even admitted to my elders because they were quest- this is the second time they questioned me. This was a more of a, the second time they talked to me was more of a drilling. They really wanted to know where I was at that point because it was a few months later. But I was mainly listening to James White, and I made myself write things down because. I found when I was studying the Trinity, if I wrote things down, I began to see the problems more because it was really easy to fool myself or let him try to, listening to James, fool you when you just talk. When you write them down and you say, okay, define that word, define this word, define this here, define God here, and it starts to show a problem because you, you find yourself contradicting things. And he was doing the same thing. So I mainly studied him and I'm like, he can't even do this. And he's the main apologist for the Trinity that I'm aware of in the you know in the U.S. So wow. there's something wrong here. It's really interesting because you're you started with a series on the Trinity trying to prove it, and that made you question it. And then you went to James White and his book and his debates, and he really is one of the most popular debaters on the subject of the Trinity, at least that I know, and really a polished debater in general. On oh yeah, yeah. Many subjects, you know, just a really experienced person on it, and that made you question it even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I listened to him, and I'd say the other things I did was I went to Trinitarian videos, like uh, pro-Trinitarian videos a lot, and I just kind of shadowed the people arguing. I just kind of watched, you know, YouTube was mainly on, and just sitting there reading arguments and questioning things and looking at people's arguments and being like, I'm not seeing anything I haven't heard before, and a lot of these are not working. Uh, it was like James White says a lot of the same stuff, and a lot of people will even contradict, you know, everybody has their own Trinity, whether they believe that or not. A lot of them have their own version of it, but... You know, I would occasionally try to get a sincere Trinitarian at the time to try to dialogue with me, and occasionally I would get that, but it wasn't 
wasn't very common. Mm-hmm. Most people would just get mad at you for questioning or I think I've heard other people use the word machine gun verses at you like you can answer 500 verses at one time. Yeah. And then uh, I'd say the only other biggest influence I led into was uh, a lot of people mentioned the Trinity Delusion on YouTube. I ran into him and started taking on. That was when I started probably hearing more biblical Unitarian arguments in depth, but I didn't actually know what it was at the time in in a lot of ways. I I began to study them more in depth because he was given a lot of context and cross-references on his YouTube videos. And I wasn't finding a lot of problems with his explanations, even though at that time I was probably more Aryan, I would say, in my views. I was more of a pre-existent become human believer, and I actually know people who are like that still. I didn't really read any books until much later. I got Anthony Buzzard's books after I changed my mind and a couple other uh, Unitarian books after that. That was about it, mainly in line. Have you uh, gotten Dale's new book yet, Dale Tuggy's new book? No, I haven't. I have it on a list to get. I wanted to get it this week. Oh, it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, let me... uh, let me get back to it. So as you continued through this process, you continue to have meetings with your church. I know from reading uh, your, your testimony in your blog that this ended up, over time, creating a rift. So could you talk about that a little bit as far as what happened next is when you basically said to them, hey, I think we're wrong about the Trinity. What was their response? Well, there was two meetings. Is all I had with the elders, really. Uh, it was, I think it was... 2013 there was the june like late like early fall one i had that was when i first brought them you know i have a problem with mark 12 and uh the use of shema and here's all the definitions of shema or sorry not shema sorry akkad and i'm not finding any definitions of this to you know to mean what you mean and here's a whole list and uh, you know that was the short we'll get back to you they never got back to me and answered my problems back then i even detailed them in an email if you read through the testimony you can see the email i sent to them saying i'm you know i'm having an honest problem with this here's all the definitions and such and they never got back to that. And then it was about three months later, three or four months later, I'd say another elder was made, was brought up in the church. And they, this is when they all sat me down, just the elders, no one else in the church, and wanted to know where I was. And it was more of a drilling. They wanted me to read one of Michael Brown's books, which was answering Jewish objections to Jesus. And it had to do with more theological objections. And I had a maybe 20 or 30 pages on the Trinity. It wasn't really that much, but they wanted me to read that and watch the debate again. And so I did that. They really didn't want me to watch or talk to anybody else, but that was mainly the two things. Well, let me ask you this. During this process, did they ever hear your side of what you were saying is is the biblical teaching about God and Jesus? Was there ever an opportunity for you to present that? Not in full, no. Uh, like I said, the first questioning was not really a full presentation. The second time was more of a drilling, and I got barely any questions or explanation out, and I'd still barely into the subject. It's a huge subject if you're really studying the Trinity itself. It took me a year to probably get through two-thirds of the verses that had to do with it and really in-depth, and so I could answer stuff and wonder if they really taught what the Trinitarians were saying. So no, they never really got a full explanation because when that second meeting happened was when I went, okay, I really got to get down and buckle down on this and and make sure whether or not this is right or what I'm believing because I was still kind of floating around. I think I was around the time you know, in between Arianism and heading towards, you know, whether or not there was a pre-existence, I wasn't sure about at the time. Probably, it was around December that year, 2013, early January, I was just listening to Acts, and I think I had listened, I started listening to some other podcasts, uh, maybe they weren't podcasts back then, I think, I can't remember one of them have had you or not, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else, but somewhere over those nights, 
I was listening a lot to audios on teachings on from biblical Unitarians and listening to Acts is when I finally just said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Something's wrong with the Trinity, and, and I, you know, I may not have every answer, but I can't, I can't go to this church anymore. I need to talk to the elders, and I need to have an honest conversation with them. I can't just go here and act like nothing's wrong and keep going, basically. <laughs> and so I called my elder, as I, uh, I mentioned in the blog, and he didn't want to speak with me. He just basically, they said they would, but then they, they later on denied it and or denied the uh, conversation. So I never really got to hear what I had to say. Why do you think they did that? And their view to protect the church, they believe. That's, that's about the easiest answer. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't going to speak to the church, right? You were going to just speak um, to the elder? Yeah, I really originally just wanted to speak to just the elders, at least one of them, because it was it's difficult to talk to three people at one time. <laughs> right, yeah. This is a very sad story. So eventually you, you just decided to stop going is that what happened next yeah in short he told us we i mean when i first told him i i can't continue in the trinity one afternoon i had talked to him on the phone and i said you know i just want to talk to you guys uh, i wanted to actually have a conversation about it right and try to show them things because i i knew i could show them things that we could write them down because it's a lot easier like i said i believe it's a lot easier to hide this stuff in in dialogue it's a lot harder to hide it when you write it down and he said they would have a meeting and then they said we weren't welcome back at the church at all though so we uh, we were meeting at a friend's house at that time because he had a fairly large house, or a large basement, I'd say. We were meeting a finished basement, and we weren't uh, welcome back. Now it's pretty much simple, you know, you're done until we talk to you, and then we never talk to you. So Yeah, so you got the left foot of fellowship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after that happened, you, you ended up moving away for work anyhow, right? Yeah, I was working with a company, and they transferred me to a better job, back into Ohio, because when we lived out of that church, we were out in the country, and that was our first experience with the country, and we really liked it, so we wanted to move near a country area again, and we're, we moved back to uh, Ohio, out in the country area, near my job. Okay. How did your mm-hmm. wife uh, respond to it? Did she think you were crazy, or? <laughs> yeah, she's thought that a lot through different ideas I've had, because she knows I'm in my head a lot, and I like to think a lot about subjects. Yeah, yeah. around the time when I changed my mind, or began to study it, she was kind of like, why are you looking into this? You know, you know, you know, you can't look into the Trinity. And I just kind of talked to her about what I was thinking, talked to her about what I was finding in the Bible, and just the overall subject, you know, something as simple as most people who understand hermeneutics know you start with the clearest verse as possible. Well, when you study the word hathaos, you study the word God in the New Testament, just the New Testament, you find that overwhelmingly refers to the Father. And like, why, if there's a trinity, does it overwhelmingly refer to the Father? And I never find a verse that refers to a trinity. Uh, or, you know, there's a handful of verses that might refer to Jesus, but there's better answers for some of these than creating a three-person God. But with her, I just kind of, you know, kept telling her what I was thinking and telling her what I was reading about and tell her what I was studying. And as I went through verse by verse, and she, you know, went along with understanding it, even if she didn't understand everything. She hasn't studied as much as I has, but I have. But she just joined me along in it throughout the whole thing, and it would have been really rough if she hadn't. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your marriage is, is very important, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And uh, keeping peace in the home is significant. And, uh, you know, I would expect that she would have at least some reservations. You know, if she just, like, changed instantly, then that's not really a good thing either, you know. No, but no. That she can kind of work it through. And then recently you had a debate with Josh Lavelle. Yeah. And how did you end up? getting together with him. Josh is one of the former uh, members of this former church I was part of. He is okay. the son of one of the elders of that church. 
in short, uh, from knowing him, and I don't remember if he explained this in the debate, he basically said, you know, Sean left the Trinity, and never nobody ever got really an explanation in the church of why. They never heard my words about why I changed my mind. And he began to study it a little more, I believe. I, I think he could have studied a lot more, in my opinion, over the past three years, because that happened in 2000, early 2014 is when I officially, we officially were booted out. He wasn't involved in the previous discussions you had. No, no, he wasn't. I'm sure he, he heard things from his father eventually, but that's about it. Right, and he, then he noticed that you were gone, and he's yeah. like, well, what happened? Uh, and, yeah, and he wanted to study it, and I know he had a debate with Pierre Leverett back on YouTube a while back, and so I was leaving comments on the video, and he decided to ask me if we were willing to have a formal debate, and from there, just kind of you know, set it up and agreed to setting it up in January 2017, because I was mainly hunting at the time a lot. I was out and around. So this was quite a debate. Uh, four hours and seven minutes uh, on YouTube. Uh, that's no joke. I mean, uh, there's one thing having a Bible conversation about something you disagree with. It's another thing to go four hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's short for us. Like I said, it's, it seems long for the listeners, and I knew it would be, but for us, it flew by. I know it did. It, feel like, it feels like you got nowhere still. Now, what was the structure of the debate for those who haven't had a chance to listen to it? But it was mainly just a opening, closing, back and forth, and then, uh, you know, rebuttal time back and forth a couple times, and then a question, cross-answer, which was supposed to be mainly the cross-examiner only asking questions and not at, not making major statements, but that didn't happen very well. <laughs> and then we were going to take a break after one more rebuttal and then have a question-answer session with the audience, and we thought we'd have an online audience, but the streaming was not working because okay. we had people online, but then it all cut out because there was just too much going on on the internet and it wouldn't work. But uh, it was mainly just questions from the, the people who were in the in some of the uh, ex-members of my church or members of my former church who were there. And then a couple more rebuttals, I think, in closing. And that was it. It wasn't anything crazy. It was just kind of back and forth to keep it ordered. Yeah. How did you prepare for that debate? My main thing was probably just a short cheat sheet list of answers and cross-references to the most of the common Trinitarian proof text from my knowledge and other resources and a few other resources and books because really most of this stuff was in my head but it had been two years since I really put it in depth because it was the beginning of 2017 and I had really put a lot into it in 2014, 2015 but then I started studying other subjects and so you know what what's in your mind kind of goes to the back of your mind. Yeah, so I had to rehash a lot of that stuff and get it down on paper so I could have quicker answers and you can tell we're still both so kind of stumbling around to get answers back and forth because it's the first time I've done that and only his second time so I'm much better with writing it's just because I have time to formulate my answers clarify my answers and really examine what someone's saying yeah mainly that was just studying again and it kind of helped in an odd way that I got injured while hunting so I was stuck at home then I couldn't go out and hunt (laughs) (laughs) After you had prepared, you went in, and how do you think it went? Do you feel like you... Well, let me back up before asking you that. There are a number of Christians who I imagine are even listening to this right now who would say, well, debates are bad, disagreement is bad, arguing a position is is bad because there's no profit to it or whatever like that. How would you respond to that sort of a uh, objection? Uh, I would just say I would disagree as long as you are keeping it reasonable and you're not getting, you don't want to get into a heat, overly heated, you know, nobody's hearing or listening to anybody. It's good to have a proper discussion with somebody. It's something that I think every professing Christian needs to be able to do in order to test their own views 
and uh, test others' views. That's the only way it's going to happen if you can learn to control yourself and your and your speaking and your conversation. So you can learn. I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't learn to discuss with people about their views and my own views. And it helped to really humble me to do that because before that, I'd say it was more of a you're wrong and this is why and I wouldn't talk to you beyond that. So it really humbled me to get sat down theologically, I guess you could say. Do you mean in the sense that having the conversation was a humbling experience? Oh, sorry. No, getting sat down on what I thought I had right. Meaning, uh, it was it was humbling to see. Okay, I had this big of a belief that I believe was just a traditional idea I bought into the Trinity, and I didn't study it, and it showed how I believe how incorrect I was about the subject, and that yeah. sat me down. And but yeah, you have to be able to have conversation with people. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to separate if we don't more and more and more. What would you say is the point of doing a debate like this? Mainly for the listeners, because even I know in, in my debate with Josh, I know he wasn't going to be able to answer. I wasn't trying to machine gun you know, a thousand verses at him, but I also want to get a lot out for listeners so they can look him up because I knew I wouldn't have time to get into him. And, you know, I'd, uh, in my debate, uh, I still had pages upon pages of stuff just with verses and cross references that I wouldn't really have to explain much that I never got into that, you know, you'd love to get out for everybody to listen to. The point of debate is just so people can hopefully hear both sides very clearly and hear proper responses to both sides in a, in a good, honest dialogue. Yeah. I noticed too, the tenor of the debate was extremely civil. Uh, yep. how, how were you guys able to, to do that? I mean, you're, you're sitting there right across from each other, inches away almost, <laughs> <laughs> and you're disagreeing on a subject that is incredibly significant and yeah. neither of you exploded emotionally. So how did, how did, how was that possible? I don't know. For me, I can't speak for Josh. I I don't know. Maybe his experience over the past couple of years with his his father and and the church has done something to help humble him a little more in, ta- in talking to people. But I'm not sure. Maybe it's just because he's learned to uh, dialogue a lot better. I never had great in depth conversations with Josh when I I did have conversations with Josh. I shouldn't say that. I never had great disagreements with Josh when I, when I was at that church. So. I can't say I know exactly why, but for me, it was just it, I've just gotten used to it because if if you're willing to talk with me, I can talk with you. But if you're not willing to talk with me, I'm usually just going to say I, you know, I I'm not going to talk to you because people that blow up, you're just not going to get anywhere with them. I like to be passionate. I know I can be. I also know it can get you into trouble, so you got to watch it. So for both of us, I think we knew we were just going to try to keep it as formal as possible and, and not try to say anything false about each other in any form. We just wanted to try to keep it directed to the arguments overall. Yeah, I mean, you you each held to your side, but in a sense, it seemed like you were having a good time, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because, yeah, we were laughing afterwards and talking. Yeah, we had a yeah, great I think time. that was really great, a great example of how to have a disagreement well. And I'm sure you feel like you learned a lot about Josh's particular take on the Trinity Doctrine, and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully he felt that way as well. Um, how, how would you say it went overall? Oh, uh, yeah, we just kind of talked about it. It went fairly well uh, overall. You know, we're, afterwards we were fine. We ate a meal and talked for a little while again because my wife and I had to leave the next day to get back so I can get back to work. But it was good mainly because, like I said, they got to hear a little more, even though, in my opinion, two hours is nothing because, you know, if you kind of even it out, two hours and a four-hour debate is all I got for my time to try to explain biblical Unitarianism. And the main subject of the debate was, is God a trinity? And I think it kind of swerved from that, like, like most debates do, and I try to bring it back to that subject as much as possible. But overall, it went fairly well. 
I know I'm not the best order. I, I've got to practice speaking a lot more. I'm not really necessarily nervous in front of people. I'm just not the best at keeping my thoughts organized and making sure I'm not leaving gaps in my teachings or understandings because I fill in the gaps in my head and don't speak them out loud. <laughs> yeah. Debating has is, is got to be just one of the hardest things in the world to do because other than the opening presentation, you really do have to think on your feet. And thinking on one's feet is just really hard, <laughs> especially yeah. if there's any kind of pressure or antagonism, which is always there in a debate. Yeah, yeah. So I think you did a great job, and I think he did pretty well also representing his position. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I think your position ultimately is much more convincing overall. Yeah. What would you say you could have done better in the debate? Uh, I think part of the downfall of trying to cover all your bases in, the, in a Trinity debate and like my idea of trying to get quick answers to everything kept me from going too in-depth on specific verses. And Josh, during the debate, did kind of hound Colossians 1 and Philippians 2. I wish I had more prepared for those two things. You know, I had a few verses on each of them, and I understand what I thought on them, but I didn't feel like I could explain them well uh, when we were talking about them. And if I'd have had, you know, kind of wish you had foresight. <laughs> if you'd have known that was going to come up, you'd have prepared more on that, and I could have given better answers and critiqued his understanding a lot better. So yeah. I, I believe that was the probably the biggest thing that I could prepare a lot better on, but I couldn't predict exactly what we were going to focus on. Right, yeah, yeah, you never can. And his position was very exegetical. It wasn't on really the subject of the debate, which is, is God a trinity? It was more mm -hmm. like, well, Colossians teaches that Jesus is the creator, ergo, Jesus is God, trinity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> but, wasn't really following, and I, I that, saw that in his other debate. That's not proving the trinity at all. I mean, it, it might be proving that Jesus is God in some sense, but it's not proving the trinity. And there are lots of Christians who believe that Jesus is the creator, and historically have believed that, who don't believe that he is part of the Trinity in any yeah, way. Yeah. But that's good, though, to see how he thinks about it and how he processes it so that we can better understand how to talk to people, especially Bible-believing people, as opposed to high-level philosophers like James White, that sort of thing. In the debate, I was trying to keep it mainly focused on—and this is what I do when I talk to people. Usually, if I, if I ever get in a conversation with somebody about it, I try to keep it on that focus, because most people want to debate, you know, is Jesus God, or Jesus is God, and then say Trinity. And I know that doesn't follow— but in their head, it somehow follows. I try to focus on, really, it's just the title of uh, Anthony Buzzard's book, Jesus is Not a Trinitarian. I focus on Jesus has a God, and his God's not three in one, so we got a problem. And most people, uh, you even heard in the debate, I believe, can't deal with that. And I think Josh couldn't deal with that, despite what he tried to say and separating Jesus off. It, it necessarily creates two gods within the doctrine of the Trinity. And that's what I try to focus on, because that was the subject of the debate. I think it's fairly simple. It's just, it's irrefutable, in my opinion, but, you know, people can try. Yeah, it doesn't stop people from trying to refute it if it's irrefutable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that that is, was pretty much your biggest point that you were able to get across? Yeah, that's what I try to focus on whenever I talk yeah, with anybody. And so, especially, I wanted to make that a focus in the debate. You saw that from the opening. You know, I, that was one of the things I went through, is Jesus has a God, and his God's not trying And Jesus is not an idolater. He kept the Torah. He kept the law. And the Shema is part of the law, so that God is clearly his God. And, and then he studied Deuteronomy 4 in context, and you see it's also clearly the Father, based on cross-references. But uh, that's what I focus on, because yeah. it's, it's just irrefutable. It's a fact, whether you're a Trinitarian or not. It's, you have, it's an admission that Jesus has a God. I've only talked to a handful of Trinitarians in my past who would say, no, Jesus doesn't have a God, he's a God. Or he is God, he doesn't have a God. And then they, you show them a few verses, and they go, oh, 
Okay, well, that's okay for him. Basically, it's okay for Jesus, not for anybody else. That's what you end up with. (laughs) Well, a lot of times people will say, well, by virtue of the incarnation, he's kind of playing a role as a human, Mm -hmm. and as such... He wouldn't be an atheist. That's a yeah. classic James White argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that so, doesn't answer the point. Of course, he's got to have a god. So how would you how would you come back to that? Uh, that's what I wrote. I think recently in my blog because I've been thinking about it. I've heard James White saying, you know, Jesus well, and Joshua too. Jesus is not an atheist. You wouldn't expect that. Well, that's not really answering the argument. That's just restating my argument. Jesus has a god, and it it doesn't answer the argument because Jesus still doesn't have a three person god, no matter his role. He can't be a sinner. He can't be an idolater. We're all wasting our time talking about this subject. So it's it just like I said, it doesn't answer the argument. To say Jesus is not an atheist, it's just to say he has a God. And you're admitting his God is not three persons when you know it's the Father alone. And the best thing is you just can't separate it. You can't separate them all that much. We know he is separate in some way, but we, we admit that. But you can't be separate in the sense of he's a sinner or he definitely can't have a three-person God. That's probably the best way I can put that. So Yeah, yeah. All right, so what's next for you? Well, admittedly, like I said, I've been studying things on uh, the Torah and uh, partial and full preterism for the past couple of years, kind of on and off, not really highly in-depth, because I, I admittedly it, it overthrew me on a lot of subjects, I, but I have been studying the Trinity on and off too, but I haven't been as in-depth with that. I also thought about writing some of this stuff down and getting it uh, into books, because I had a lot of it in my head just from studying it for years. Because I think there's really so much more that could be brought out on the Trinity itself. Uh, I've read, you know, Anthony Buzzard's books. Uh, I don't know if you've had any. I never, I've only read a couple others other than uh, Anthony Buzzard. And I can't remember who they are at this moment, sorry. But uh, they haven't taken, I think, the full cross-references. Unless there's some other books that are older. Because I know there were Unitarians back in the 1800s that might have written more stuff down that I have not read. There's, there's just so much more that could be exegeted to show... God is the Father, just with cross-references, because they are everywhere. Do you think you would have another debate on the Trinity? Um, I'd be willing to, uh, I believe. Uh, I thought about you know contacting Josh and just doing more of a direct type of uh, debate, kind of like you know, he focused on Colossians 1 and Philippians 2, trying to do like, well, I pick a few verses, you pick a few verses, so we can both prepare specifically for those verses or those subjects uh, and keep it more narrowed in its focus, because, you know, is God a Trinity is a pretty big, a pretty broad subject. Yeah. Do you think he would agree? Um, possibly. I know he's he's busy right now with uh, uh, some other things, but it's possible. There's other people that have talked to me about the Trinity or challenged me on a debate before, but I can't remember who they were, if I could find them online again to get in contact. But I did have a, a discussion with James White oh, probably a year, year and a half ago now. I think he was wondering if I was going to challenge him to debate. And I think when he found out I was more of a uh, like Dale Tuggy has mentioned before, like in, you know, uh, what do you call it, whistleblower? He didn't want to talk to me then. <laughs> right, right. You're not from a biblical Unitarian background. You are more of an even. What what tradition was the church you were part of? Was oh, it we Baptist were, or what was it? Originally, I so said growing up with Methodist and then kind of went to a non denominational church for a while. This one was just a non denominational church also, just mainly didn't like Calvinism. That was about it. <laughs> so like an Arminian evangelical church. Kind, yeah, we didn't call ourselves Arminians either, but yeah, generally in that area. <laughs> okay, cool. So you would say then that you are an insider who has come to see that this was an incorrect teaching. Yeah, yeah. You have to write stuff down, at least for me. Maybe you don't have to for everybody, but for me, I had to write down to see the problems in my own views because I, I internally critique my views a lot. 
whether I'm writing down, usually it's in my own head when I'm, I'm just thinking about stuff. But when I made myself write down, you know, the common statement, Jesus is the son of God, that's clear. It's all through the Bible. And then I say, Jesus is God. What do I mean by that statement? Well, I'm clearly redefining the word God because I know it's not the father. I know Jesus is not the father unless you're oneness. But, and then I begin to see problems like this definition of God I'm making is not in the Bible. This, this nature being, and I don't see justification for redefining these terms as I keep doing over and over, as I wrote stuff down, I just couldn't make sense of it. It just the more I studied it, it didn't make sense. And you don't want to equivocate either on the word God. No, no, no. It, that that's happening all the time. Yeah, that was a good video you did. We have on ChristianMonotheism.com. <laughs> so, how can people get in touch with you or follow your work? Where do they go to find Sean Holbrook? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I try to keep doing something here and there on my blog. I'm just working a lot right now, but I. Uh, I mainly have that blog. It's D-R-O-P-T-O-Z-R-O. It's dropped to zero is what it stands for. It's an old song from years ago. Don't ask about it. But <laughs> I just kind of kept the ID. I don't know why, but I have. Uh, and that's just one God and one Messiah. I don't remember if the, the exact WordPress uh, link. And then YouTube is the same thing. If I remember right, it's dropped to zero without a D-E in the zero. That's mainly where you can find things I've said or uh, subjects I've spoken on with the Trinity and other things. All right, cool. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I just want to let you know about a couple of ways to follow up with Sean Holbrook, if you're interested. His blog is called Drop to Zero, with no E in zero, and it's at WordPress. I have a link to it in the show notes for today. You can follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Titus2 underscore 11 underscore 14. And his debate I've linked on YouTube. There are actually two versions of it. The one is an audio. The video version of it has pretty poor quality audio, but I have links to both in the show notes for today. So check those out on your device or just head over to restitudio.org and look for interview number 25, Studying the Trinity, Discovering God is One, and you can get all that info. Also, I wanted to share a comment that Sarah made on episode 103, The Kingdom is Too Hedonic, and that's uh, part 12 of the Kingdom of God class. She writes, this was an excellent lecture. Thank you for researching and sharing these quotes. I found the quote from the Acts of Paul and Thecla particularly fascinating. Since some scholars evidently date the original publication of this work to about A.D. 68 to 98, I wonder if such apocryphal stories about Paul circulating in his own time might provide some background for his explicit condemnation of asceticism and those who forbid marriage, 1 Timothy 4.3. In any case, thanks again for sharing this instructive and inspiring series on the kingdom of God. Well, that's an interesting hypothesis, Sarah. I don't know if that works out as far as the timing goes, though, because from what we know about Paul's martyrdom, it likely happened during the reign of Nero, which ended in 68 AD, but he probably died in in the time right after the fire, the great fire of Rome, which was in the year 64. But either way, there probably wouldn't have been enough time for the acts of Paul and Thecla to make its way into Paul's hearing. 
Yeah, so I don't know if if he was specifically responding to the acts of Paul and Thecla, but I do know that this mindset was widespread in the ancient world. So he could have been responding to any number of churches. I think there's also a significant quote in Colossians as well on this same subject. So this is definitely something that was in the water, so to speak, and just like people today might go on and preach against the celebrity cult or pornography or consumerism. Today, Paul the Apostle felt a need to come against this extreme ascetic mindset in his own time. But thanks for writing in. It certainly is an interesting topic worthy of further consideration because I feel like there is a lot more to the story than I was able to dig up here. But it's something that is important for us to be aware of about how ancient people thought about the body and why they ended up rejecting Some of them even ended up rejecting resurrection, and others just rejected the kingdom idea. But if you're interested in this, check out episode 103, The Kingdom is Too Hedonic, and that's part of the Kingdom of God class. And we'll see you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.